Thanks, Mana. Feel to leave your Bibles open there. I want to ask you as we start out now, what do you think your next door neighbor thinks about God? What do you think your next door neighbor thinks about God? As we think about the world that we live in and where we are, so often it feels like following Jesus and being a Christian, it's really just insignificant. Like it doesn't really hit the radar of their consciousness. Maybe even worse, some people might think Christianity is morally questionable. There's been a number of prominent Christians in the press in the last few weeks. Ravi Zacharias, the great apologist, uh, been found to have a sinister side in what was going on before his death. Carl Lentz, the Hillsong pastor from New York, a similar story. Brian Tamaki and the Apostles' Sons Club, if you've read about that at all. Uh, The tone of most dinner party conversations I go to seems to be that Christianity is just irrelevant. Uh, If I've ever been to dinner party conversation and chatting with people, you've been invited there. Usually the conversation starts with something like, oh, how do you know so-and-so? You know, the person that's the, the, the birthday guest or whatever it is, whoever's party it is. And then within one minute, I can guarantee they'll ask me, oh, what do you do for a job? And that's when I get to say, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And it's like at that moment, I've just suddenly been overcome with an odor of bad body odor or something. Because people are like, oh, I need to go away. It's like, I just got to get a refill for my drink. Or I'm just going to go and clean my auntie's dentures. Or some kind of reason comes up that people just want to get out. At one time, I actually got into a conversation about being a pastor. The guy was like, oh, wow, that'd be a good job. He's like, oh, that'd be a great sort of job. Because like, you only need to work like one day a week, right? And I'm just like, far out. So it, not only is it irrelevant but I've got nothing to do with my week. That's, that's the kind of the way the world views us. But how does it play out for you? What does your neighbor think about you? When someone asks you what you did on the weekend, you mentioned you went to church, what response do you get? To those around us, it's like Christianity is kind of a total waste of time. It's, it's irrelevant so often. And if I'm honest, sometimes I find myself actually believing that. Don't you? There are times that... You feel that God's kingdom, what he's doing, doesn't really make an impact. It has no impact on the world or people's lives or my life and Christianity gets such a bad rap. It makes me ask the question, is God really in control? The events of these weeks and the people who've been in the press, you're like, is God in control of his kingdom? But as we look at what God's word has to say today, what Jesus says through these parables, we're going to see that God is in control of every inch of his kingdom. He's in control of who hears about it. He's in control of how it grows. He's in control of how far it reaches. So why don't we pray that he'd help us to see that he is the God who is in control. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look to this passage that Mana just read for us, as we think through what you have to say to us, we ask that we would see who you are. You'd help us to understand that we might come to your word today really listening and by your spirit, you might give us more and more understanding of how great you are, and how big your kingdom will be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're about to look at again, and what Mana read for us, was again parables, like we saw last week. Uh, We got introduced to them in these different stories. There was a seed being thrown and scattered last week. We'll see some seeds thrown and scattered this week as well. But some of you noticed last week that I skipped over a section in the parable. Some of the astute ones amongst us who are going, hang on a minute, why didn't we look at this bit? Um, well done for those people, because we're going to pick it up this week as we look at Mark 4.11. That's the bit I missed over. It says this, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything comes in parables, so they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. 
Now, I skipped over that last week, not because it's just hard to understand, but because as we get to this week, we start to understand what Jesus meant. Mark put it there to help us understand more as we hear more of the parables that are coming along. See, Jesus spoke in parables for more reasons than you might think. People often say, we spoke in parables so we could understand it, the kind of life situations, so we could understand more of what's going on and we could identify and understand what he's saying. But parables have two edges, two edges. They make things clear to some and unclear to others. They make things clear to some and unclear to others. That's actually what they're intended to do. Let's see if we can work out the first one. Look with me at Mark 4.21. Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't a lamp to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And more will be added to you. It's pretty simple. Everyone kind of got that? Got the picture that's there? No, you get it here. And it's like, what are you saying, Jesus? And then the apostles, they, they kind of asked that. The disciples, they're like, what is going on a little later? He's not speaking clearly here. And that's a little clue to understanding this parable. Jesus has just finished telling us about the parable of the sower, which is all about how we listen to Jesus. And then three times in this parable, Jesus tells them to listen. We see here in the parable of the lamp, Jesus again is talking about hearing. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Exactly the same wording as we saw last week in in verse 9. Again in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Jesus is concerned with how we hear him. The question is, what is it that Jesus wants us to hear? And that's what they're kind of saying. I'm trying to, like, what is it? What is it? And he tells them in verse 22, There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. At that point, you're like, okay, so the stuff's going to come to light. But at the moment, it's hidden. Jesus is saying here, he wants them to hear what is hidden. And really, this is a big illustration of his kingdom. It's like the kingdom of God, that God, what God is doing in his world, the way he's sharing the news of Jesus, scattering the seed, people growing, is like a lamp under a bed. I don't know how many of you have lamps under your bed. It's not the normal place to put a lamp. It's not very effective for lighting up the room because a bed's on top of it. A lamp under a bed is kind of of no use at all. Or a lamp under a bowl, even worse. That's a big lamp. It's got to be an even bigger bowl. I don't know who's got such big bowls. But they're thinking small little oil lamps. You put that under a bowl, what do you see? Nothing. See, Jesus is saying that he, the king of God's kingdom, is like a lamp under a bowl or a bed. The truth about who Jesus is, and that's what Mark's trying to show us. Who is the identity of Jesus? And the way into his kingdom is hidden at the moment. But it's not meant to stay hidden. You don't put a lighthouse in a cave. Not if you want it to be useful. Uh, right? You don't put your bedroom light under your bed. In order to see the light, Jesus says, in order to understand who Jesus is, to let him not be under the bed but be brought out into the open, it's all about how you hear. In order to see the light of the kingdom of God, we must listen to his word. Now, it's not just about a kind of half-hearted listening. You know that type you have when someone says something about something the other day, 
Um, Sarah, was, Sarah was chatting to me about the conversation she had with her mother, and I was kind of like, oh, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, not listening at all. Just kind of going things through. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that type of listening. It's a type of listening that your life depends on. For me, I, I remember vividly a moment. I was 16 years old, uh, and I'd had these weird episodes at school where I, I got tingles in the left-hand side of my body and, and kind of lost um, some feeling there. I lost vision in the left-hand side of my, my vision uh, for about an hour. I vomited, and then I was fine. I was like, anyway, got home from school, had this big headache. Mum said, we should take you to the doctor. Apparently, that was an important thing to do. Went to the doctor. They said, look, that's what can happen with migraines, but we should get you a scan just in case. So I go and have a CAT scan. They didn't find any cats. Funny, that name. But as they did that, they saw that one part of the the ventricle on the left-hand side of my brain was twice the size it should have been and was pushing pressure on the rest of my brain. I remember sitting there as the the doctor explained that to me, going, my life depends on what this guy's saying. He was saying, you need to go home and you need to pack your bag, you need to go to hospital now to get this operated on, to work out why this is causing this pressure. I remember sitting there going, this is important. Mum's in tears, I'm 16, trying to work out what's, what's going on. But my life depended on those words. Jesus is saying, that's the type of listening you need to do to me to be able to understand what I'm saying. The type of listening that your life depends on. For Jesus says in verse 25, whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, this is not talking about money. I've heard people apply this. You know, if you've got some money, God will give you more. If you haven't got any, sucked in. Like, that's not what's going on. He's talking about listening and understanding. Whoever listens, more understanding will be given. But whoever does not listen to me, even any knowledge they might have of me and the kingdom will be taken from them. All this person will see will be something as plain as a bowl or a, or a bed. No light. Just like, oh, it's a cool bowl, it's a cool bed. They'll never understand the light hidden in Jesus. You'll never see the kingdom of God and come to know the king nor be part of his kingdom. It's kind of like a stained glass window. A church that I grew up in, uh, the church that Sarah and I were married in, is a pretty old church. Here's a photo of it on the screen. Um, The the first church meeting, uh, not in that building, that building was built a little bit after, but was on the 26th of November, 1835. So the church I grew up in was an old church. We're a relatively young church, nine years. These guys, 1835. Someone can do the maths. I didn't do it earlier. But here's the thing. It was actually chaired, the first church meeting, by Samuel Marsden. Samuel Marsden. My name's today. Samuel Marsden. The guy who brought the gospel to New Zealand was the guy that started the home church that I grew up in. And and these windows on the outside, you can see a close-up of the one in the middle there that looks brown, I hope, and, and gross. That's one of the windows in the church building. That was installed in 1894, that window. 1894, it was put there. And from the outside, you look at that and you're like, that's disgusting. It just looks brown, it's got like chicken wire over it, so that the youth kids, of which I was one, that I did kick a ball at, and that saved the window, thankfully, because it was put there in 1894. Um, but it looks kind of like, ah, oh, boring, and, and, and like, what's, what's the point of this window? But when you go on the inside and you see the light, it looks like this. Now, some of you go, ooh, wow. Some of you are like, oh, I hate stained glass windows. That's why I come to a church that's nine years old, not, not comfy seats. But it's actually intricate and amazing. You see, what was brown and gross and had chicken wire covering it from the outside, when you come from the inside and understand what it is, that it's this window that shows this scene uh, from the Scriptures, it it just lights up. See, Jesus' word is like a stained glass window. 
Those who don't listen see it from the outside, just a brown conglomerate of glass that doesn't make sense. I see it, yep, I can, I can talk through what it is. It's glass and lead and put together, it's a window. Yeah, nothing. But to those who listen carefully, to those who really try and hear what Jesus is saying, God gives the inside picture. He illuminates to us who He is, the King of the universe, and what He has done. He shines His magnificent light on the subject of His Son. Let me ask you today, how are you listening to Jesus? How are you listening to His Word? Are you allowing God to illuminate who He is? Do you see Him for the glory of who He is? If He just looks like the scabby brown exterior of some ancient relic, then stop and listen. There is so much more to see. There's a God who loves you and a King who died for you. If you're dry and tired, if Jesus has lost his shine, stop and listen. For he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you've been thinking, look, I've heard all this Christianity stuff before. If you've been coming along because someone dragged you here or because your conscience dragged you here. I want to say stop attending church and start coming to hear the word of God with others. To let that bear fruit in our lives. Stop just reading the Bible and start listening to what God is saying to us. Don't tick it off as a checkbox, but hear it as God's word to us, as God to us. Because God's word comes with a massive warning. A massive warning. In 2018, the New Zealand government passed a law that all tobacco products had to have a warning. Here's a picture. I don't buy that many cigarettes. But apparently, 75% of the front and 100% of the back of tobacco products in New Zealand need to have this warning plastered on them. If you smoke, it will cause you great damage. It's, it's not good for you. You need to know that. And they want to make it incredibly clear. Well, in verse 25, Jesus stamps a warning label on the Word of God. Look at verse 25. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have... Even what he has will be taken away from him. In other words, if you don't listen to the word of God, if you don't sit yourself underneath Jesus' word, any skerrick of understanding you might have ever had, anything you got from those times you, you, you went along to church, from those Bible passages you were familiar with, or from that youth group that you went to once, or that course that you did, anything that you might have from that Bible college that you went to that made you think you knew it all, if you don't sit under it and listen, whatever you think you know, will be taken from you. It will be of no use to you. You'll twist it and distort it. It will become counterproductive to seeing the real Jesus. It's got an incredible warning. Make sure you listen to this word. Otherwise, any understanding you might have, any hope of salvation will be taken from you by God because he is in control of who hears about his kingdom. But the warning, it's not just some empty threat made to make you feel guilty, it's meant to push us to the promise in the very same verse. Did you see that? Whoever has, more will be given to him. If you come and hear this God, if you hear what Jesus is saying, if you come to the scriptures ready to hear from God, not in order to tick a box, but to listen to him and hear what he's saying to you, and he will give you even more. He'll reveal to you the inside view of who God is and what he's done. You'll see not just a man, Jesus, who lived, but the king of the universe who came and died and rose again, who is in authority over all. You'll see the one who will come back to judge the living and the dead, the God who is in control of the entire world. You'll see your life changed 
a depth of knowledge of someone who, who created you, who made you, who sustained you, that you never knew possible. You, you understand what it is to be part of that kingdom, to, to share in its blessings, to experience forgiveness, relationship with the creator, life that lasts forever. That person is the person who listens to the word of Jesus. But do notice, it's not by your own strength. It's not by your own intellect and understanding that they work this out. No, it's given to them. Because God promises to reveal it to us. We cannot go and find out everything about God like we can put him under a microscope and dissect him and go, yes, we've got him sorted. No, no, he is the one who reveals himself to us. And he says he does it on the basis of how we listen and of who he chooses to reveal himself to. The first parable shows us God is in control of who he's about his kingdom. But the second parable shows us that he's in control of how his kingdom grows. In verse 26, Jesus uses this image of a farmer scattering seed into his field. He's walking around throwing out these seeds. He doesn't know how the seed gets from the tiny seed into the full kernel. He just, he just scatters it. He throws it round. He eats. He sleeps. He, he gets up and goes on independent of, um, of, of everything else. But simultaneously and completely independent of the farmer, another process is at work. Kind of slowly, almost undetectably, the seed sprouts and grows. The farmer doesn't kind of will it into existence. He doesn't look there and go, yeah, grow, and it grows. It just happens. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. All this happens quite apart from the farmer. Jesus is saying, so it is with God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is spread like the seed. Then, despite its humble beginnings, irrespective of human activity, God grows his kingdom. You can imagine the context he's saying this into people who think, is this Jesus really the real deal? People who want to kill him and have him dead and pushed away. He's saying, while it may look pitiful and puny to you, while it may look like this kingdom is not going to grow, God's in control of it. Just as he grows that little seed into the full head, so he's in control of his kingdom. He'll, he'll keep growing it till the day it's ready for his harvest. He'll grow it according to his plan. It doesn't depend on anyone else. It doesn't need special schemes or elaborate techniques in order to grow. God grows his kingdom according to his plans and purpose. Now the challenge for us is, I think so often we think that we can grow as a church, maybe because we've got a great building, well, we might have one. Uh, because we've got the right type of music or we employ the right type of leaders. Now, all those things, humanly speaking, have an effect. Just like the farmer prepping the soil has an effect, working out where to put it. But how the seed grows, well, the farmer's got no idea. He does nothing to make it grow. I mean, even today, we might understand how a seed grows, how a child grows, but we don't make that happen. We might understand more of the workings of what goes on, but no one actually goes, yes, I'm making that happen. It just happens. So Jesus is saying, so it is with the kingdom of God. He will grow his kingdom. The seed here is God's word. It's the message of Jesus, and it's good. And all we need to do is to spread the word of God, is to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done, it's to scatter the seed. So when things seem like they're hard, spread the seed. When you're feeling tired and like, oh, is this actually relevant to the world around me? Spread the seed. 
When it seems like nothing's working, spread the seed. Speak of the truth of Jesus. Don't kind of cut back on what you say and censor what you say so that it's acceptable to the world around. But speak of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Bring him out to be that light that everyone can see. Live the Jesus-centered life always. With our ministry apprentices, it's why we're so keen to see people raised up for the kingdom. Not because pastors are the only ones who spread the seed, but because it's their role to equip the saints for works of service, to stand alongside us and work alongside us, to see more and more people come to know Jesus and use the skills and gifts and abilities they have to um, organize churches, to see the gospel go out and people encouraged and standing firm in Jesus to the end. If we want to see more people trusting in Jesus, we need to see more workers for the harvest. That's why we as a church are committed to doing these apprenticeship programs, to saying, hey, have you thought through this? Jesus says in Luke 10, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We need to pray for more opportunities to scatter the seed of God's word. Well, remember that God is in control of how he grows his kingdom and how it develops. We get to trust him knowing he will do it. It doesn't depend or rely on me, but he is in control. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, outside of God's control. Nothing. And there's not one event in the history of mankind that God didn't know would happen or that God didn't plan to happen. Let me say it another way. God, before he created anything, knew how the whole world would turn out. Every part of history. But not only did he know how it would turn out, he was in complete control of how it turned out. That includes all events, good and bad, tsunamis, earthquakes, the tiniest details of our lives. And who understands the kingdom of God, God is in control of. And that pushes me to pray. To pray to the God who can change things. And ask him to bring about his plans and purposes. Now I'm fully aware that will raise questions, lots of questions for some of us. And questions are great. They show us that we're listening to the word of God. When we're thinking and we start to be challenged by God's word, it means God's doing something. He's either molding us to be stronger in our own convictions, to go, hang on a minute, this is what the scriptures are saying here, I don't think this is right. Or he's changing our convictions to be in line with his so I want to encourage you, if that idea of God being in control of everything is new or is something that you struggle with, there's a fantastic book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Uh, it's really, really helpful. I, I read it, loved it. You can buy it on Kindle for $10. Uh, I want to encourage you to get it. I think it's one of the top five books I've read in my life. It's to help me to understand biblically and experientially how God can be in control, and yet we still be responsible. I want to encourage you to, to have a read of that. But the point of this parable isn't to scare us. It's here to comfort us. When it looks like everything is crumbling around us, when Christian leaders are in the press, when stuff's not growing as we thought it would, when life isn't going the way that we thought, don't despair. When it feels like Christianity is irrelevant, don't believe Satan's lie. God knows what's happening. And it's part of his plan, and it's happening for his good and the spread of his kingdom. Now, we don't know how he's growing his kingdom. We don't have all of that laid out other than through the word of God. We don't know the ins and outs of his plans and why at some points Christianity seems to be larger and other points it's not. But be assured, God has a set purpose and plan, just like the seed. I mean, who would have thought 
that, that banning Bibles in China for over 40 years would have been part of God's plan. To ban the Word of God in a country. How could that actually be helpful? Who would have thought that the huge risk of violence and imprisonment and torture that the Chinese Christians faced could be used for God's purposes? You're like, this is horrible and wrong and we should stop it. And they're right things to be saying. 40 years ago, there was an estimated 1 million believers in China. Today, 70 million. God is in control of how he grows his kingdom. We couldn't have imagined it. But it's all in God's plan. He may decide to shrink that at some point for his plans and purposes as well. But he is in complete control. So pray. Speak to the one who's in control. Keep spreading the seed and trust him to grow his kingdom. And as we pray, what a blessing it is to be one of his followers, knowing that he is in control. It doesn't depend on me. I haven't got to do, do, do all this stuff. I get to have a go with the gifts and abilities I've got, give it my best shot, trusting in him, trying to be godly to serve him. But then watch what God does with it, how he grows his kingdom, the, the freedom we have. And we get to see the way he frustrates the schemes of the evil one. Seeing the master planner unveil his magnificent plan, I think he's like... Watching a chess player who, who has his opponent in check with a pawn. And he just wins the whole game with maybe just one pawn. And you're like, how is that possible? It's like, yeah, I'm God. <laughs> as we watch God grow his kingdom, as harvest time approaches, the day Jesus comes back and all things will be as they are truly, and he is installed as king, as, as we walk down the street, as we now catch buses and trains, it seems that so many around us have not yet become part of God's kingdom. And there's still a sense where you're like, but it's so small. I know you're in control, but it just feels so tiny. God, you made all these people. You love all these people. But don't lose heart. In the last parable Jesus teaches us, he shows us that despite its small beginnings, God is in control of how vast his kingdom will be, of how large it will grow. If you had to describe the kingdom of God at the moment, how would you describe it? What, what picture comes to mind? Maybe have, just have a think through it. What picture do you think of the kingdom of God? Now, as I think through what I, what I think the kingdom of God ought to be like, I get some picture amongst the world of some mighty and glorious building, like um, uh, the Burj Khalifa in, in Dubai that stands so high above every other's. This gleaming building over a city that's saying, look, this is the true, look at us, we can build this tower. You know, or maybe a picture of an army shining with polished steel, extending the east and west as far as the eye can see. Maybe that's the kind of picture of God's kingdom that you have because God is in control and he is the, the creator and sustainer of all and so big and powerful. But listen to how Jesus describes the kingdom of God. Verse 31. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The one it was sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. How different God is from me, and thankfully. So much for our grand and powerful images of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of God is like the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. You ever seen a mustard seed? I got Mrs. Fotheringill's mustard seeds. I think this is how Jesus would have had these packets like this, with a picture of Australia and New Zealand on the back, when to plant. But like I thought, you know, let's just have a go. They're really small. Can you see them? Do you see that? I thought, look, even if I scatter them, did anyone, sorry, Sarah, did anyone feel that? 
Can you find it? You can. How big are they? They're very little. I didn't even see them go. I don't know if you did. You can come and check later. They're actually real mustard seeds. We'll have to make sure we vacuum here. Otherwise... Now, I just wanted to bring them here to show you at times it feels like God's kingdom is just so tiny, so insignificant. But it will grow into this mustard tree. Now, let me get something. No, just kidding. (laughs) But right, because I can't bring in a mustard tree because they're huge. They're massive. They're ginormous. That tiny little seed grows into something that is massive. What's Jesus saying? Just you wait. Just you wait. God is in control. Who he's about his kingdom. How, how it grows and how big it will be. Verse 32. When it's seed sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Old Testament imagery, Old Testament imagery of how great and vast it will be. From this insignificant beginning, when the world around says, that's ridiculous, you believe in this Jesus who died, whatever. Just wait. A kingdom that will last forever, that will shine above all kingdoms. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he's tattooed to his thigh. Jesus, like the patient farmer, is 100% confident in his father's plans. Even though he's entrenched in all this opposition from religious leaders, he's not disheartened, he's not distressed. God hasn't invaded this world with a mighty army. But with a tiny seed, the news of who Jesus is and what he's done, it hardly shows up on the radar screen of people's lives, but it will grow into a fruitful harvest. So when you feel like it's a joke, when the world around us says Christianity is insignificant, I can't believe you believe that. When when you feel like, who are we and is this really worth believing? Look back to where the kingdom has come from. Twelve guys in Jerusalem. To millions upon millions upon millions of people in almost every country in the world, every tribe and tongue across the planet, trust Jesus is their king. So don't believe the lie. Don't believe Christianity is insignificant. This message of the gospel is the most powerful thing, Paul says. For the gospel is God's power of salvation for everyone who believes. When people laugh at you when you tell them you're a Christian, Or when you say, look, hey, how about we catch up and maybe read the Bible? Don't be surprised. It is foolishness in their eyes, sometimes like a stained glass window from the outside. But pray and ask God to bear fruit and to grow his kingdom. Who would ever have imagined something as small as a mustard seed would produce such a big tree? I want you to imagine for just one moment what it would be like on the day Jesus comes back, on that last day, standing beside the throne of the creator of the universe, where he is seated, looking out at the vastness of God's kingdom with people from every tribe, language, people and nation gathered around him. Seeing how perfectly all God's plans at that moment were worked out, you're like, ah, that's why you did that. That's why you brought COVID in to see this happen here and look at how it brought your kingdom to grow and how more and more people came to know you. That's why you showed your character and judged this nation for these reasons. And people then saw that you were the God not to be mucked around with. Seeing how everything kind of makes sense, those times that it seems so wrong to us. Imagine seeing exactly how God used them to bring about his kingdom. To introduce people to his love and to forward his purposes. 
Imagine that moment. What a difference having that picture in our minds would make for the way I live today. Knowing that there will be a day when everything is shown for what it really is. When the mustard tree will be shown as the tallest tree in all of the garden. How that will change the way I live as I listen to the word of God. I want to hear you. Please shape me, mold me, make me more like your son. I want to trust your plans that you will grow your kingdom. And so not try and bring it about by dodgy means, but by proclaiming the news of Jesus. I'm going to trust that it will be large and vast. And that will shape the way I pray. Will shape the, what I put my hope in. And how I use these minutes that I've been given today for the spread of the kingdom. Friends, God is most definitely in control of his kingdom. The question for us is, will we listen? Let's pray. Lord God, as we reflect on the reality of you being in control of all things, there's a sense where we don't like being in control, but we're so thankful that you are, that it doesn't depend on us, that you are bringing about your plans and purposes. We ask that you'd help us to listen, to listen to your word and that you would keep showing us more and more of yourself, that we wouldn't become weary and tired and complacent, but you'd excite us with being part of your kingdom, with, with knowing you and, and having Jesus as our brother. We ask you to send us out into the world to speak boldly of the gospel, that seed that bears fruit, and you'd build us up and strengthen us to hold on, remembering that as Jesus returns, the kingdom will be massive and be seen for all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.